You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, real quickly, I just want to uh, kind of let you guys know um, who our speaker is for today. And uh, as many of you know, uh, our pastor, Eric Capace, he is in Hawaii right now speaking for a champion Christian college graduate over there. And I had the opportunity this summer of actually going over there and being a part of the church and worshiping with them. And it's a great work they have over there. Uh, Brother Mike Bowie is the pastor, and uh, he and his wife are doing a great job. And so uh, he's speaking over there this uh, Sunday, and then he'll be flying back on Wednesday. So if you could just keep him in your prayers and, uh, and, and make sure that you're doing that. Uh, this morning, uh, I have the privilege and honor of introducing uh, our guest speaker for the first and probably last time because he's going to be a really familiar face around here uh, at Gospel Light. He already is becoming a very familiar face. Many of you have already met him. Uh, pastor Jeremy Horton is our executive vice president over at Champion Christian College, and he just takes care of a lot of the day-to-day operations over there and is really doing a great job, a lot of exciting things happening over there at Champion, and uh, I'm really excited about what he's doing over there. But also, he is helping out the church and is has become our, I guess you would call associate pastor, but in specific, we have called him our discipleship pastor. And over this next year, we're going to be talking a lot about how we can further disciple each other and disciple others, and he's going to be a huge, intricate part of that uh, this year. So I'm excited about that. He has a great family, and he's been married. Uh, well, he is married to Miss Jillian, and uh, I got to go over there and help them move into their new house and move a. It was a great time moving that piano. That was a great. That was a great opportunity right there. I'll never forget that memory. Climbing up those stairs and and it almost fell on top of us. Anyways, long story short, it was a good time. And uh, and then they have four beautiful children, uh, except for Noah. Actually, three beautiful. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Noah is uh, Noah and Anna Kate, or as we like to call her, AK. They're great. They're in the youth group, and as a youth pastor, I've been able to spend a lot of time with them teaching and coaching and doing a whole bunch of different activities, and last night getting to hang out. That was fun. And they have two daughters, five and three and a half, and uh, they, they, I got to spend time with them last week at the house, and they're great. Uh, Adeline and uh, Anna, uh, oh, Abigail. Sorry. Okay, get it. I'm getting it. Okay, it's, 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 it's a lot. So it's great. Four beautiful children, and listen, we're in for a treat. And uh, I honestly, I've got to hear Brother Jeremy three times uh, so far. And I know he, he didn't pay me to say this, but uh, I'm, I'm being honest. He just does a great job of exegeting the scriptures and, and getting the scriptures to where you can understand it and kind of un- understand what's going on. And so I'm excited. He's been pastoring for 22 years. And uh, he actually committed to the call, uh, call uh, got called to the ministry, excuse me, uh, and when he was 18. And went right into the ministry. And at 19, he became a senior pastor of a church. And so this is a man with a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom. And uh, he just moved here a little while ago. And I am literally so excited for you guys to be able to hear him. Uh, And I'm excited to hear him as well. So, Brother Jeremy, I love you. Let's give Brother Jeremy a hand as he comes up. Well, undeserved introduction, we serve a worthy king uh, that makes us righteous, amen, and uh, never can be anything without him. It's good to be together. Uh, My wife, Jillian, and I, uh, just last 
Monday night, had the privilege to attend, as many of you have, the new members orientation uh, gathering at the Capaci home. Thoroughly enjoyed that, and we look forward to being, being a part of Gospel Light and, and serving in whatever capacity God defines that as. And so we are grateful for that. Andy Howe, we'd like you at this time, if you would, to open the Word of our God uh, to the book and the Gospel here, according to Luke in your Bible. If you have your Bible, just turn there with me uh, to Luke chapter 17. And that's where we'll be to spend our time together this morning and focus today really on the focal point, I guess you could say rhetorically in some way, of this question. And that question is going to be, who will return to praise him. If you don't have a worship God by chance, would you raise your hand and there will be someone to bring one to you? And if you do not have one, just raise the hand and they'll provide that for you. That way you can follow along as we go into this passage of Luke 17. Again, the question is a question I pray that all of us will be able to answer by the time we leave here this morning and answer it with, a, with an honest heart. And the heart to be able to say before the living God who holds our breath in his hand, Will we be the one to return to give him praise and glory that he's worthy of receiving in a heartfelt way? Let's all bow in his presence right now and go before his throne of grace. Father, we know that without you we are nothing and can do nothing. And we praise you that today your kindness has shown upon us. Lord, your loving mercy has given us the awakening we've had this morning just to come and be here in your likeness and to know that you are the God that speaks. You care, you love, you reach us, and you don't want to leave anybody behind. And we praise you, Lord, that today we know your word is truth. So speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And we give you glory in advance for the good news of the gospel and the power of your resurrection in our own lives. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what helps a lot of any book of the Bible, it's always good for us to kind of dive in and know a little bit about what's going on. Amen? And it always helps to do that in a way that we go, okay, that's why that passage is saying that specific statement. One of the things we find in the Gospel of Luke is that it's unique. It's unique to the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. So Luke finds itself in there by the divine plan of God. And what we know about God, the Gospel of Luke is that it was written about AD 60. And so almost three decades after Christ has ascended into heaven, you've had time for the Gospel of Luke to manifest. The inspiration of the Spirit came apart. Luke wrote down what God gave him. And when we read the very first chapter, we find that Luke's Gospel was actually written to a man by the name of Theophilus. He dedicates the Gospel account. And he wants Theophilus to actually have an accurate presentation of who Jesus Christ is. Theophilus is a Roman official. So he's not a Jew, but he's more like a Gentile. And therefore, he hasn't grown up around Christianity. He hasn't known anything about Christ. So Luke writes to him almost as if he's discipling him to explain to him and those who will be in his area of influence who Jesus Christ is. And so when he begins to write, Luke's gospel is saturated with a Gentile presence about it. In fact, in Luke's gospel, he explains a lot of the Jewish customs that the Jews wouldn't have to have the explanation of, but he takes the time to give them 
explanation. He shows them geographical areas of where things are in the Palestinian area. And he does that because he wants whoever is reading this gospel, who is not a Jewish background, to have a chance to know who this Christ is and what it is that he has done. But what we know in here today, too, is that when we find out what Luke is writing about, he wants everybody reading this gospel to know that Jesus Christ is not just in favor of the Jews. He also loves the Gentile. He loves the person who's not a Jew. He doesn't care about the racial ethnicity somebody is. This is the living Christ who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's triumphant forever, and he loves every tribe and tongue and nation, many of which are represented right here today. Amen? So we come alongside Luke's gospel, and we say yes with confidence in Christ to say, Lord, I'm one of those that you have reached. I'm one of those whose mercy has not been wasted upon my life because you gave me living hope because living hope can only come from a living God. And he gives it and gives it abundantly. And we find here today in Luke's gospel that he wants everybody reading his account to know that the bullseye for him, the trajectory, the aim that he goes for is over and over again. Luke brings in the mention of Jerusalem. He wants everybody reading the gospel. Throughout the gospel, you'll find Jerusalem is mentioned multiple times because he wants you and I to say, okay, Christ was not just working miracles here and raising the dead here. We don't know just Jesus as some amazing person who does incredible events and, and makes great things happen, but he's not just doing those things. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem to do the ultimate thing, to give his life on a cross, to die for the sin of the world, to make sure that a sinner can be made right with God, because that's the great love that we've been loved with. That's what we know Luke is writing his gospel about. He wants to make sure we stay on course. And so when we read this passage today, we're going to find about 10 guys that are sitting together. They're in a miserable situation. Their life has not turned out the way they thought it would. And suddenly in their misery, Christ shows up. And they need somebody's help because nobody else is helping them. In fact, Christ is the only one who can do for them what is needed. They need his deliverance. Do you remember in the Old Testament story, the story of Daniel in chapter 6 and he was in the lion's den? Many of us remember that account. Maybe even as a child you heard it. But one thing we remember is that Daniel in the lion's den, whenever he got out and the Lord had shut the mouth of the lions, we find that Daniel makes the statement as he's praising God from the pit. He says to the king, he says the Lord sent his angel to shut the mouth of the lions. And Daniel came out giving God praise for delivering him. You might remember the man by the name of King David. The Bible says that he gave God praise in Psalm 51 because the Lord God had restored him. David was the man who wrecked his life. David got tempted and went after another woman named Bathsheba and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then to try to cover up the adultery and the pregnancy from the adultery, he decided to try to have her husband murdered. When it was all said and done, the prophet brought it all out. And he said, you're the man. You know what you've done. 
And from that point forward, David realized because of murder and adultery in his life, he had made a mess of the things that God had given him as blessing. He had turned those things around and it became cursing to him. David prays in Psalm 51, giving God glory to say, Lord, you've given me a second chance. Lord, you've restored me. David gave praise to God for that. Maybe somebody else in here has been restored and you can know the joy that comes from knowing Christ has not given up on you. We might remember also in the gospel, Mary, who was in Luke chapter one, we find out that she's pregnant with the savior of the world. And when Mary realizes little old Mary has been selected by the plan of God to bear the Christ child, we find that she's erupting with a song of thanksgiving and praise to the living Christ, to the living God to say, Lord, you, you've chosen me. You've selected me. And she said, let it be to me as your maidservant. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's, Mary was praising God that he chose her. And what we know about in these passages is that in every one of these stories in the Bible, we find that they all have one thing in common. They exploded with thanksgiving and worship for God because he is the God that can do for us what we can never do for ourselves. And that's why we can't help but want to give him praise. That's why we wake up every day and say, Lord, you woke me up again. Lord, you provided for me and you've done for me what I can never do for myself. May it never be so that we ever take that for granted. And if we do, may we come back to him and say, Lord, restore that back to me as well. In fact, there's a Bible verse passage in Luke 7 about a woman who Christ forgave her. He, he set her right. In fact, I want us to read it here together in Luke 7 to get a picture of what this specifically would look like with the rescue that comes from Christ. Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him and he entered the Pharisee's house, reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar a fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears she wiped his feet with her hair of her head kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil you can imagine the scene when the pharisee who was in, who had invited jesus saw this he said to himself this man if he were a prophet he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him she's a sinner Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. You can only imagine what's about to happen, right? Teacher, he said, say it. So here's what he said. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them is going to love him more? Great question. And here's what he says. Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sin, her many sins, have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who forgiven is forgiven little 
loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. The woman, as we see there, loved much because she knew. She knew how much she had been forgiven. So she couldn't help but worship him at his feet. She couldn't help but want to weep and wash. She took an alabaster, very expensive amount of oil and just broke it because there was nothing. There was nothing that she would ever want to hold on to that was worth more to her than Christ. Yeah, this woman loved him that much and she worshiped. So what we've got to remember, and it helps us to remember even now, is that the lower the helplessness, the greater the thanksgiving for the rescue that comes out of somebody's broken life. Jesus is always looking for someone who will humbly recognize their need for him, desire him for the same purpose that lungs need air, for the same purpose that a pharmacy needs medicine or cars need tires or a zoo needs animals. He wants to know that. He wants to know who wants me. Not for the blessing, not for what I can do for you, but who wants me for me? Will you serve God just because of who he is, not for what he does, because of love for him? We find in the passage today that Jesus finds plenty of people who need him, but he only finds one who wants him. And that one that wants him is the one whose life is completely changed for eternity because he comes back to praise Jesus. Today, we want to go into this and remember these things together as truth. And I want to encourage you to give thought to this. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth I desire besides you. Though my, my heart and my flesh fail, God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you want him that badly? Today, I pray that that's the case. That's a statement that that's the honest assessment of everybody's heart today, that we all, with one voice, as an anthem of glory and praise to the God that loves the way he does to us through Christ, that everyone would be able to say collectively, I want him. I want him more than I want anything else of any relationship, of any comparison. I just want Christ. And I want to love him more and serve him more. If there's any of us today that can say that, then great. But what we want to say today together, right out of God's word, is that when we read this passage, because of the lepers that come out of this passage, there are from these verses, there is, we extract and we take away from it, basically this application for our lives. There are five different responses of praise that show up in the life of somebody who's been rescued. So in other words, someone who can't appreciate the rescue that Christ has done for them, truly beyond the day you got saved, but 10 years later, the fire should still be burning. There should still be a longing for him. There should still be consuming fire burning deep in our bones for Christ and his glory and his gospel. And if that's not the case, then that's an indication that somehow, someway, revival is needed in the heart of that child of God to be able to come back to praise Him and not take for granted the things maybe that the Lord has been doing to this point. Let's go into the passage together. And will you just do this with me? 
Go with me in your Bible to verse 11. And let's see together what the word of the Lord says about these responses of praise. Response number one comes out of verse 11, going into verse 12. Look what he says. While traveling to Jerusalem, there it is again. Luke's letting us know he's on his way. He passed between Samaria and Galilee. As Jesus entered a village, 10 men with serious skin diseases met him. Stop for a moment. And again, let's just kind of slowly unpack what the text is saying. So according to the scripture that we are reading together right now, we know that there is an insertion of an area, geographically speaking. And we are told that while Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he passes between an area called Galilee and an area called Samaria. So when you and I look at a map, Back in the day and time of Christ, here's what we find. We'll find that at the very northern part of that map is this region called Galilee. And right south of that is a region called Samaria. And right south of that is a region called Judea. And that Judea is where the Jerusalem area is. So Jesus is leaving Galilee where his ministry was founded. And he's traveling down, all the way down south, to Judea, Jerusalem area, to die on the cross for our sins. While he's on his way, he passes between Samaria and Galilee. On the map, there's a border there, but there's an irony to that. When you look at the map, here's what you find. In that border, there are no roads except to the east. There is nothing in between on the border. Here's why. Because the bordered area back in that day and time was for the outcast. It was for everybody kicked out and banished from Jerusalem and Samaria who shared the common bond of leprosy. Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Samaritans couldn't stand each other. There was racial hostility, but God would take the common misery they shared as lepers and bring them together and unite them. In that colony, Jesus comes right there where that border is as he's going to Jerusalem. In other words, he meets these 10 lepers who have this serious skin disease because nobody else is coming to them. In fact, everybody else has walked out of their life. They are completely isolated. No one cares for them because they have leprosy. But Christ leaves the road and goes over here to the off-beaten path and goes way down deep into the bush and finds these lepers. You know what we praise him for? What we praise Christ for is our praise, if you've been rescued from your sin and know Christ is Lord and Savior, you praise him for the initiative that he took because Christ comes to where we are. We do not try to figure out a way to get to God because in and of ourselves we can't. So what Christ does is he comes to where we are. In John 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you, appointed you to go and bear fruit. Today, you and I can look back. And for those in here that have a song of redemption, for those in here that can say, yes, I've been born again, 
I know Christ is Lord and Savior. You can go back to when Christ saved you. You and I could conclude by saying, we praise him. That on that day and in that time, he woke this dead heart up. He showed me I was a sinner. He showed me I needed his forgiveness. And I praise him for bringing me to himself because I didn't even look for Christ as much as it is that he was looking for me. Brought me to conviction so I could repent. And in my repentance, I have been saved. Having believed his death and resurrection for me. Hallelujah. For all of us who have been redeemed, go back and remember that. Praise in our life, no matter how many years go by since that day, should always be not what we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of his Holy Spirit. Amen. That's what we find together. But there's another area of praise that comes out of somebody's life who has been rescued. And here's what it looks like. If you go with me a little further in the text, he says, when he met these men with a serious skin disease, as we know as leprosy, it says they stood at a distance and they raised their voices. And here's what they were saying to Jesus. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When you get the picture in your mind of the lepers, let's make sure there's one very clear picture that comes off the page to you and I. Leprosy was horrific. Leprosy as we know it, medically speaking, of course, in some cases in understanding this, leprosy itself was a severe, disfiguring skin disease of sores, boils, namely many things. It damaged your nerves and your arms, your legs, caused disfigurement if it was left untreated. There are about 200,000 cases every year worldwide of leprosy today. In fact, there are about 2 million documented cases worldwide of people that actually suffer from disability because of leprosy because their cases went untreated. It's something that no one wants to get and have in any kind of capacity. In fact, I even found out that armadillos carry leprosy. I mean, leprosy, they carry the bacteria for leprosy. So if you've got a pet armadillo, you might want to find it a new home. Amen? Just saying. So we know that these things are not good, but in the Jewish culture, here's what we remember. We remember back in that day and time in the book of Leviticus, God had a specific instruction given to the Jew if they were found with any kind of disease on their skin, especially leprosy. So here's what they did. According to the instruction of the law of Moses in the Old Testament, they first had to go and be examined by the priest of the camp of Israel. The priest would inspect them. And after concluding his inspection, if they were found with leprosy, immediately they were banished and removed from the camp of Israel. Immediately. There was no grace period there was no timeline to kind of gather their belongings. It was just like, you're done, you're gone, and that's where you're going to live for the rest of your days unless you're healed. That was it. In fact, the Bible says that when they left, they were supposed to do this. They were supposed to tear their clothes, shag their hair, and then they were supposed to actually put their hand over their lip, and they were supposed to say, unclean, unclean, to everyone that came within proximity 
of them. Imagine in your life your greatest worst failure. Imagine whatever you would say, I want no one knowing. I don't want to televise what it is that I've done 10 years ago. Imagine in your life whatever that could be and having to say to everyone who comes near you what you've done and how ashamed you are of that. Nobody would even want to do that. And the leper had to live daily if anybody crossed the the region where they were. So it was a miserable banishment. They had no way to have friends. Everything they had in life that was enjoyable was always in the past. They had no future unless they were healed. You talk about isolation. And many people believed in this case that they had some incriminated disease because of some gross sin in their life. That's the kind of stereotype the leper had. In the Jewish customary law, there were 61 defilements. The first and the worst of all of them was the touching of a dead body to make you ceremonially unclean. The second of all 61 was leprosy. So it was serious. And therefore, they found great isolation from that. So when Jesus shows up, they're thinking, what is he? It's him. Jesus, you know us. You see us. Nobody else wants to be around us. But you care. You're here. Exactly. And it says they stood at a distance. Why? Because by the law, the Jews said that you couldn't get within six feet of another human being, including your family. And if the wind was blowing on any given day, you had to be within 150 feet away or you would break that law. So they, they stood at a distance. They saw Christ and all the other miracles in the Bible. People are running after Jesus. And they're coming to him and they want his help. But they have to restrain themselves at a distance as bad as they want him. So what we remember to praise God for is we praise God for the inadequacy in our own lives. You know why? You know why it's actually a good thing that we are inadequate without Christ? Because once he does save us, it helps us see the distance that there was between us and Jesus Imagine if the salvation of Christ was easy. Imagine if it had never involved a cross. What if there never was any bloodshed? What if it was a political move? What if it was a decision another round? But instead, Christ saving us was the ultimate. Because the sinner was that far away, including myself. And I remember when he saved me. And I pray you do too. And that's why we can go back and say, Lord, I praise you that for the inadequacy of my whole life, you closed the gap of the distance between you and me. And you brought me into fellowship with you as my God. Listen to the joy that comes out from the psalmist in Psalm 32. Let's read this here on the screen. He says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man that the Lord does not charge with sin and in whose spirit is no deceit. Amen. When I kept silent, he says, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. Then he says, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat, Selah. He says, then I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. Amen. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful to pray to you at a time that you may be found. He says, when great floodwaters come, 
they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Selah. That is what it's like for the one who has been rescued. The one who knows that they've been forgiven of their sin. Joyful shouts come out saying, Lord, I've been saved. I've been forgiven. I deserve a condemnation in hell. I deserve separation from God. I know there's nothing I can do to save myself from that place. But you, in your great mercy and love, you have reached me when I wasn't even looking for you. You saved me with a great, mighty, powerful salvation. Today, that's the witness in this place. Amen? Can I get a witness today, this morning? Anybody saved up in here? Yes. And so we know the joyful shouts ring out as an anthem from the praise of God's people. Because we know who we've believed. And we're persuaded that he's able to keep what we've committed to him against that day. We know that he is the Christ. Praise comes out in this manner. But there's another area of praise as you keep reading the story. As we would give response to the rescue in our life from the Lord Jesus. And here's what he says. He says right here in verse 14. He says, when Jesus saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Stop for a moment and catch that. When Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Here's what we got to do again to contextualize this and make sure we understand it right in its context. We got to see why did Jesus say that? Why did he tell them to go show themselves to the priest? Why did he not just heal them right then? Why would he not just do for them like he did the other people in the Bible? Why go to the priest? Here's what we remind ourselves of. When we go to Leviticus chapter 13, there's a scripture here I want to share. This kind of tells us what they did back in that day. So he says, let's look at Leviticus 13. He says this, but whenever raw flesh appears on him, he will be unclean. When the priest examines the raw flesh, he must pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean. It is a skin disease. So here's why this is a big deal. The praise here is the praise to God from a rescued life for his instruction. And the instruction that he has given is this. Go show yourself to the priest. Here is what happens. Whenever a person was declared having leprosy, remember, they went to the priest and the priest said, you have leprosy. They were banished at that time. The only time that you went back to the priest is if you, don't, if you no longer had the leprosy. So the priest could declare you clean and you could be reinstated back into ceremonial worship with Israel. So when the guys are sitting here looking at Christ and he sees them and he comes to them and he loves them and he says, hey guys, I see what's going on. I know you've cried out. Go show yourself to the priest. If you're a leper and you understand the law back then, here's what you would probably say. But I have leprosy. I've already been to the priest. Jesus, he's already declared me a leper. Why am I going to go back to him if I still have leprosy? He's just going to send me back. I only go to him if there's no leprosy. That's the point. The point is simply this. In the life of somebody who's been rescued, the praise to God is praising him for instruction, being the God who shows us 
and tells us from his word what it is that we are to do. That means sometimes when we obey Christ in these manners, even when God's will does not make sense, we are called to obey him. And in life right now, if there's any of us that have been saved by Christ and, and, and Christ is working in our life and we know it, but there are some things at this moment that do not make any sense. And yet you have the word and you know what God's counsel is and you're thankful for that and you're following him. But right now it doesn't make sense in the marriage why you would do this. But you are obeying and trusting and waiting. Keep going, my friend. Amen. Keep going. Let's be motivated by what God did in Abraham's life. Listen to Hebrews eleven eight. Well, here's what he says. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, and he went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Right now, in any of our lives, if we are in a, in a place, in a season of life at this moment, where there is going on things that don't make sense. You're obeying the Lord. You're waiting on him and trusting him. The thing that does not need to happen is to allow doubt and fear to get in the way to keep us from walking in obedience to Christ. What if that day the lepers looked at themselves when Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest? What if the lepers said, Lord, I don't need to go because, and they started to doubt what Jesus said. It is better to take Christ at his word. It is better to believe what God has said than for us to believe our opinion of what he said. It is better to just be like a child and say, Lord, by faith, I follow you in the area of this stress in my life. I follow you in the area of this, of this fear, of this shame, of this regret. I have voices of negativity and compromise that are just poured over me. I'm getting counsel from people that don't even walk with God. Lord, let me hear what you say, even if it doesn't make sense. That's what he's calling us to. And so when somebody who has been rescued is able to come back and say, Lord, I'm thankful for that instruction. I'm thankful when you changed my life because I almost reverted back to the other stuff. But Lord, I stayed the course and here I am, Lord. And I don't know how it's going to turn out, Jesus. But you said, go to the priest and I'm on my way. If that's you today, be encouraged. Don't lose hope and don't throw in the towel. Nobody in the history of the world would ever be proud of quitting. It is better to stay the course with Christ, no matter how battered, bruised, and beaten we are when we get to where he's calling us. It's okay. It's okay because Christ gives grace for every wound we have. When you go into this passage again, you'll notice something marvelous happens. In the fourth area of praise, Look what happened here at the end of verse 14. The Bible says, And while they were going, they were healed. Amen? So, obviously, this is successful. Obviously, all ten guys got the same healing from Christ. And so it's good. It's good. And what we are telling ourselves about this is this case right here. When they left the camp of the colony of leprosy and they still had leprosy, 
But they obeyed when it didn't make sense. And they still went on and did what Jesus said. Their praise now to Christ as they're on their way to the priest. You can just imagine in your mind's eye, they're walking, they're going. We don't have an idea of how long the journey was. But somewhere along the way, one's looking at another, looking at another, and they begin to notice to one another, you're healed. Your leprosy's gone. You look different. And you can imagine the joy and the elation of celebration for these guys. As they were going, they were healed. And that way they knew it was Jesus that did it. And that's a tale, that's a, that's a reminder to you and I of this statement here. The praise that we give to God when we have been rescued ourselves, and we can look back and remember when the praise that started off with the instruction of obeying him, even when it didn't make sense sometimes, is the praise of God to, for the insight that he gives to his people. And when I say insight, I'm referring to the simplicity of this statement that it takes time on the journey when you've left the colony and you're heading to the priest and you've got that span of time in between where you're walking with God and things don't always make sense. But as they were healed on the way there, at that moment when they got healed, they could say, oh, this is why we left. This is why we obeyed. It didn't make sense. But this is the outcome of faith. And this is the result that Christ is with us and that he did heal us. It's the reminder that God gives insight in those times in our life when we don't understand why for a certain season of time, yet we put our shoes on every day, we wake up every day, we have time with Christ every day, we stay committed to the cross, making disciples, sharing the gospel, and we keep going even when not everything in our life is going the way we would hope. And in those times, down the road, healing came. And how beautiful it is when somebody six months later is able to look back at a wreck, a train wreck of their life. And so many months later, they're able to say, look what Christ has done. Look how he has brought me through this, to this area of my life now. When somebody's praying a certain way, and their prayer for nine months or a year doesn't go answered. And there's an outcome. And finally they realize, no wonder God didn't answer the prayer. No wonder because I was praying the wrong way. This was for his greater glory. This was the outcome that he needed. When we're able to, in our life journey, be able to make conclusions. And be able to say, now I see the greater picture. Now it makes more sense today than it did X amount of years ago. You're able to celebrate. You're able to say, thank you, God. You're able to say, Lord, now I see why. And for some of us right now, we're still on that journey. And maybe some of us are still waiting on clarity. Waiting on God to be definitive and to show a little bit of commentary as to what's the purpose of this and how do we go forward. What we've got to remember, y'all, is simply that the Lord God is with his people never to leave them nor forsake them. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel that he would be with us to the end of the age. Listen, Jesus isn't going to check out. He's not going anywhere. He is committed to you as his, as his child. If you're a born-again Christian, 
He's committed to you. And he wants you and I to be committed to him. Because he's loyal. And he will hold us and keep us and shelter us and strengthen us along the entire day. In Isaiah 55, 11, remember this word. He says, God said about his own word. So my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and it will prosper in what I send it to do. You believe that? Amen. So Christ spoke and he said, go show yourself to the priest. The very word of God spoke and the outcome is that they were healed along the way. So whenever we are praising God for insight, we're able to praise him and remember simply that, Lord, you are speaking. And as I am obeying the word, Lord, your word will never go back empty. So speak over your children, the word of God, right? Speak into every marriage and every career. Speak to anything from scripture because what God says will carry always more weight than what any human philosophy can yield. We need the word of our God. And we need it active and powerful and living in our life because God's word is already successful. God's word cannot fail. I pray it is actively working in your life and your family and your friendships. And I pray that God's word is strong and in presence in life because that's where the insight comes from. And when God gives insight... You never question anything about it. You always say, Lord, once again, your sovereignty has showed up in my circumstance. And I give you praise for that. But at the end of the story, there's kind of an outcome. And the outcome is not exactly what it should be for all ten. And here's what he says. If you would, read along with me. He says this, beginning at verse 15. But one of them. Seeing that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at Jesus' feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Not a Jew, but a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. When you and I embrace the interpretation of the passage, this is kind of what we walk away with. Ten guys get healed. One shows up to say thank you. Nine take the blessing from God and they run. What a tragedy thing that would be. Thank you, Lord, for giving me an absolute breakthrough in my life. Thank you for helping me. But now I'm going to do what I want. Now I'm going to go ahead and just build my life for my own kingdom. But Lord, when I need you, I'll come back to you again. Do you see how cheap that is? Unfortunately, that's the way things rock on sometimes. And it could very well be that right now, right now in this moment, There might be a one of us, maybe more, that can honestly say, I can know back when God has brought breakthroughs in my life. But if you have to admit in the same sentence, in the same breath, but I've never returned to really give him praise. 
I've never returned to give him lordship of my life. I, I, I simply remember when God's done certain things and I see that, but I still hang on to my past and I still go with my same area. But I need to just let go of that and return and say, Lord, you own my life now. Because I was heading nowhere fast. Because Jesus, you changed my life. Jesus should never have to ask that question. Amen. For anybody's life who has been rescued and redeemed and saved. Jesus should never have to look around and try to do a head count and say, where are the others? 90% nowhere to be found. But this one guy, he comes back. And he doesn't even perhaps make it to the priest because he comes on back to the high priest. Amen. The great high priest, Jesus Christ. And he's able to declare, Lord, he fell down. He worshiped him. He thanked him. You obviously can see there is great description of the, of the adoration he had for Christ. Why? Because he knew that Christ came to where he was. Amen. He knew the distance between he and Christ was so great and Christ closed that gap. He knew that Christ gave him instruction. And from the instruction, Christ gave him insight so he could see why the healing happened in the manner that it did. And now his praise is praising Jesus Christ for inclusion. Meaning, Jesus, now I am included in your family. Never, ever may we ever lose the indebted gratitude for the salvation God has given to us. May it never go away. May may we not cool off in our relationship to Christ. May it instead be a burning fire daily all the time. And if that fire is simmering out and it's only smoking instead of burning, then may there be a return back. See, when he told this Samaritan, your faith has made you well, in the New Testament language, that word is used multiple times. And in every case, that specific Greek New Testament word just means this. It refers to somebody who has experienced the salvation of Christ. What that means for this guy is that he got physically healed, but God used that physical intervention in his life as a launch pad to get him to the greater need of spiritual healing to become saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other nine didn't come back. A lot of people needed him, but again, only one wanted him. In Luke 18, we remember the story of this man who very much sentimentally reminds us of this leper. He was there praying, and here's what it says. The tax collector standing far off. There's the distance, right? Far from God. He knows it. Would not even raise his eyes to heaven. Couldn't even look because he was so ashamed. It says he kept striking his chest. He said, God, turn your wrath from me. He knew he was lost without Christ. And here's what he says. Jesus said, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. The other guy was self-righteous and bragged on himself. He says, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Today, wouldn't it be great if humility filled this place? Amen. Wouldn't it be great and marvelous if every heart in this place, every person, would just be able to say, I'm coming to Christ. 
And if you're lost without Christ today, yet to believe the gospel, know this. Know that Christ died on the cross for your sin. He rose from the dead. And he is the one who can give you eternal life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He loves you. Today would be a day to repent and turn to Christ if you've never been saved. But for those who have been saved, and the rescue has already happened, and you can look back and praise God, here's the question. Are you still burning in your heart to share the gospel like you were when you first got saved? Is there a great need of an awakening to happen? A reviving, a rededicating, a coming back to Christ to say, Lord, I don't want to be casual. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to have to look back on yesteryear's revival and say, that's when I was close to God, but right now I'm not. Instead, wouldn't it be great to be able to just come at the foot of the cross, to come back to the Christ and just say, Lord, I remember when you saved me and I praise you for it, but Lord, it's been some time since my heart was burning like it used to, since I was studying your word and couldn't get enough of it. Lord, I'm coming back to tell you I'm all yours and I want you to have total lordship over everything. Father, I commit myself. Let's do it kind of like David did. In Psalm 51, he said this word, restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Hey, check this out. When David said that in Psalm 51, where he was crying out for God to restore, here is what he's saying. That word means basically to bring back, to return back. And David was acknowledging simply that, God, the joy of your salvation is what needs to come back and fill my heart again. Because when your salvation was exciting to me like it used to be, I was telling people about Christ. I was involved aggressively in the church and helping or inviting people here and there. Lord, restore to me that joy. If anybody here has just gotten into any kind of place right now where you're casually coasting and you know that's not God's best and you want to return back, don't be like the nine that takes for granted the blessings of God and just keeps going on in life. But instead, be like the one who comes back and says, Jesus, I'm still here. And I'm sorry for making a mess of casual Christianity, but instead, Jesus, I know you love me, you care, and you want to restore me. Come back. Let no dignity get in the way. Nothing like that. But instead, as a child of the living God, just come back and just fall at his feet once again for a fresh time of prayer, a fresh time of restart, and let him speak into your life. Because he loves people who want to come back. He wants you to. Let's pray. Father, we are nothing without you. And we thank you for loving us first. It's not that we loved you, but you loved us and you showed us our need for you. So Lord, today, would you please, in this room, in our hearts, find all of us being like the one Samaritan that just comes back. Just to say, Lord, we're still committed. We love you. And we are committed to the cause of Christ. Restore the joy of salvation for any in here that just need that fresh touch from you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.
all stand together, church, if you would.